Hi, I'm Walter Bottas and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Hi everyone and welcome to Beyond the Grid, presented by the new Bose noise-cancelling headphones 700. I'm Tom Clarkson and joining me this week is a current Grand Prix winner and he's also a driver with one of the most difficult jobs in motorsport because he's Lewis Hamilton's teammate at Mercedes. I'm talking of course about Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri's been in Formula 1 since 2013 when he made his debut with Williams. He moved to the Silver Arrows in 2017 and he's currently enjoying his best F1 season to date. Up to and including the Russian Grand Prix, he's had four pole positions this year, which is as many as Hamilton, and he's taken two victories. But as well as being super quick, Valtteri's also one of the sport's good guys. He's a straight talker, he's fiercely competitive, and he has the respect of Lewis Hamilton. Outside of the racetrack, he's a family man and he loves nature. If you follow him on social media, you'll know that he loves to head back to his sleepy hometown of Nastala in Finland to unwind and reset whenever he can. So sit back and enjoy hearing from Valtteri as he discusses everything from F1 to ice hockey, Dalmatians to beards, and we've also got the origin of the porridge story for you. Well, Valtteri, welcome to the show. Moi. Moi. Thank you. <laughs> I'm afraid that's where it ends, yeah. my finish. But yeah, it means hi, doesn't it? It, it does. Informal and, and actually hi. bye means moi moi. So hello is moi. Yeah. And bye is moi moi. Easy. That is quite easy. There yeah. we go. I've just learned another expression. But anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> so it is the Tuesday after the Singapore Grand Prix um, in Brackley. Rainy day in England. You're off to Russia tomorrow. It's a crazy schedule you guys live by at the minute, isn't it? Just how tiring do you find this time of year with all the flyaway races? For sure, the last part of the season normally um, gets a bit tiring. You know, it starts to be already long season behind, even though with the August break. But now now it really, the more, more difficult part starts. You know, we, we start traveling long haul, um, you know, adding up jet lags here and there, um, pretty much traveling around the world uh, the rest of the year. So... Yeah, for sure. The work, kind of workload, everything kind of builds up a bit. And uh, now, yeah, it's a good example. It's back-to-back race and come to the factory in between to analyze everything from the last race with the engineers. And um, so, yeah, we, we do work sometimes. We don't only, <laughs> only drive the cars. What's your strategy on a plane? Are you a good sleeper? Do you watch films? Do you listen to music? Do you listen to Beyond the Grid? What's your strategy? Uh, haven't listened to Beyond the Grid, actually, I have to admit. But uh, on long hauls, yeah, it's nice to always look at the movies. But, you know, the thing is, with the amount we travel, normally it's pretty much the same movings, movies, you know, you know uh, in all, all the planes. So, but yeah, movies, sometimes music, and obviously try to time some of the flights that you can, you can sleep. So um, sleeping schedule already going into the location is always quite important. So I tend to prefer long haul flights when I can actually spend the flight sleeping. So. Easy peasy. Well, look, let's talk 2019. How do you sum up the year so far? It's quite, quite difficult to like put example into one sentence or one word. Um, you know, it started off obviously very strong with a win in Australia um, and also early on in the season leading the championship. Things kind of slipped away a little bit before the August break, had a couple of unlucky races and for sure made a couple of mistakes from my side as well. Um, and Lewis been consistently performing well. So uh, he's kind of escaped slightly on the, on the points, but... Uh, um, you know, the, the pace is good and, you know, qualifying has been one of my 
strong part this season, although haven't took a pole position for a while, which hopefully I'll get soon. Um, but uh, And I've been able to improve quite a lot from, from last year in terms of pure race pace. So that's a positive. And, um, Valtteri, tell us about that, because 2018 was a difficult year. Obviously, you should have won in Russia, but the stats will tell you that it was no wins. How, how, how did you bounce back from that? What did you do last winter? The sort of, I felt there was a new fiery Valtteri when we turned up in Melbourne in March. It was a tough, tough year and it was, you know, as a driver, um, it's difficult to accept, you know, that season goes so badly and so much under your own expectations. Um, I always try to set a bar very high for myself and always pretty self-critical on everything. So it was tricky to accept. And end of last year, I was pretty angry to myself that first of all, I was in that situation uh, by the end of the year that I had no chance for the championship. So then I had to be more bit more on a supportive role and uh, so I was angry for myself for sure to be in that situation um, and then the long end of the season just continued to go go pretty pretty badly and uh, some unlucky moments as well and just lost maybe a bit kind of the the fun side in, in, in driving and in competing so uh, just had to make a proper reset in the winter and I managed to disconnect really well so since I got to the holidays, um, like mid, normally mid, mid December, I had many weeks of completely trying to do different things than Formula One and think about different things. So didn't really think about the sport at all. And were you successful with that? How easy yeah. is it to switch off? Actually, it was pretty easy because I was, honestly, I was pretty uh, in negative mindset about everything involved in Formula One. I was a bit pissed off about the sport, you know, the whole thing. But I mean, how seriously? What how annoyed? I mean, to the extent were you questioning your future in the sport? I mean, I don't know. I'm just... Yeah, well, you know, when, when you're at, at, at your low, you're always thinking all, all kinds of things. And for sure, sometimes it, it was in my mind, what, what's the point doing this? You know, why? You know, if I don't enjoy it, things like this. But I also knew myself, okay, I'm, I'm mentally tired about the, the season and for sure disappointed because it didn't go well. But always I knew that, yeah, with, with time, you know, it will come. And uh, come early January... It was like a switch. Uh, I found the inner strength in me and I decided that, yeah, now, you know, it's now or never. I still have time and I'm never going to give up on my dream that I have set to myself since, since a kid. And, you know, I try again and try harder. How helpful has your wife, Amelia, been in that process? Because she's a competitor in her own right. Swimmer, butterfly, am I right? Correct. <laughs> but I mean... You know, she understands the pressures of being a professional sports person. How did that help you sort of reset? Well, for, for sure, you know, athlete um, knows another athlete and what goes through, through your mind very well. Um, so for sure, very, very, very helpful and very supportive. But I'm lucky, you know, I have such a nice, nice family and, and very good close friends that I can talk anything about. So and also felt like I had the team also as a support. So. Uh, I felt like I had lots of lots of support, but I, I definitely needed some long time as well, you know, to really disconnect and switch off and to gather my thoughts. And I always knew it, it's, it is in me that I'm going to find the motivation again. And, and I really managed to find um, the kind of enjoyment back in, in the sport and, and driving. And I could see in the, and feel it in, in, in the results. Well, you won two of the opening four races, didn't you? But how suffocating is it? being Lewis Hamilton's teammate? 
takes a lot, of, a lot of energy. You know, Lewis is very rarely having difficult weekends. You know, he's always on form. Um, he's still learning as a driver. He's still improving year by year, race by race, like everyone is aiming to. Um, and it requires me to be at my absolute best level to to beat him. Um, so for sure, that takes a lot of lot of energy mentally, um, and kind of for me the process of trying to get better, trying to work hard, trying to improve myself on all the areas that requires requires work. And for sure, it's not easy, but I don't like anything easy in in this world, you know. I mean, Valtteri, he's got form in that he kind of broke Heike Kovalainen when they were together at McLaren. Fernando Alonso walked away from him. Nico Rosberg did the same. I mean, he's got form, hasn't he? He really does batter his teammates, it would seem. Yeah, you know, I, I can understand. You know, he, he's, you know, he's won so much in Formula 1. You know, Lewis is probably one of the greatest ever in the sport. Uh, if you look at the results, and uh, I think it, it is a fact. But I've also proved to myself that I can, I can beat him. Um, but how to do that more consistently and over the season, that's the tricky part, but it's possible. But for sure, he's not going to make me to leave anywhere because because of I would get an easier teammate to to deal with. No way, you know. So I think it's a good opportunity for me as well to get better and and I like good targets to try and get to. And and Lewis is one of those. And I guess you can learn off him as well. For sure. Now, it seems from the outside that when you're not driving, you get on well. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, that that is that is fair comment. You know, we we can really work as a team because. We have good respect both ways and we know that if we can work as a team, it's going to benefit both of us because it's going to aid our performance as a, as a team and help the car development and, and everything and the team spirit as well in the whole team. So we we know that's how it works. And um, still, when we put the helmets on, we know that, uh, you know, it's, it's go time and we hate losing and we are going to be fighting hard. Is he funny? Yeah, he, he can, can be funny good sense of humor do you do practical jokes on each other or anything like that mm, not that much no just no bit of teasing at times but yeah i'm fascinated to know where he's different to the other teammates you've had so you know williams you had pastor maldonado as your first teammate then felipe massa how is lewis different to those guys both in and out of the car well in the car he's um yeah, for sure, the best teammate I've, I've had. Like, I mean, is he just better in every area of driving a racing car, or is it one particular to the teammates I've had so far? Uh, yes, but he's also a hard worker. You know, even though it might seem that he always goes to different kind of events and things between the the races, but he also do, does spend time with the engineers and um, at the factory, like like I do. So I think he's realized that you know everyone else is working hard, so he needs to as well. But yeah, for, for me, yeah, by far the best teammate um, I've had so far, although Pastor was, was quick in his day. And yeah, with Felipe, same same thing. And learned a lot from Felipe as well. And what about Toto Wolff, team boss here at Mercedes? I mean, he's charming, he's charismatic, but there's a steely edge to him, is that right? That is correct. He tends to be quite critical to the people he cares and very honest. So he, he's not afraid of saying if he thinks, you know, some things I could have done better or I need to do better. He always talks out loud about those, which I like. You know, there's not nothing ever going like behind the back or anything. It's very straightforward, uh, very honest feedback. Equally, when you have a race like Singapore, where you were told over the radio to put the brakes on a little bit, 
so that Lewis could hop out into the traffic ahead of you. Are you straight with him back the other way? Yeah, for sure. He knows that I didn't like it. And uh, yeah, we had we had good talks and meetings about that. And yeah, we, we can be both ways very straightforward. Um, yeah. How often do you speak to Toto? Well, for sure. We see obviously every race weekend and when I'm at the factory and sometimes on the phone. So I think every every week pretty much in somehow we, we get in contact. How integral is he to the success of this team? I think very. You know, he's a great leader. You know, big team like this needs the right um, leader and the right way of leading, you know, to be able to make a huge team to synchronize and to really work as a team and work for those targets together. It needs absolutely someone someone like Toto. And I'm going to ask you the same question about him that I asked about Lewis. In the, is there a funny side to Toto? There is a funny side. Toto, we've made many, many good jokes and uh, we have good, good fun stories from the past as well. So, Of course, yeah. you've known him for years, haven't you? Because he used to be your manager. Indeed. So, yeah, Toto was one of the managers I got in 2008 to help in my, my career. Um, so he's been, yeah, I've known him for a long, long time. And what is the business relationship now? Is he still your manager? Toto is purely my boss now. You know, since I joined Mercedes and when the discussion started, he obviously... Um, went off from the management obviously wouldn't really be correct for him to be my manager and, and a boss at the same time so there's no ties on that side so now he's purely the the e e evil guy <laughs> it's not maybe the right word but also at the same time uh, dr evil i like that. yeah but at the same time <laughs> the the supporter and um, the one who's who's pushing you forward have you sensed any change in toto since nikki tragically passed away has do you feel he's had to take on more since Nicky's no longer a part of the team? For sure he has. You know, Nicky had a huge, huge role in, in this team and um, a big job. And for sure there's been many, many people, you know, trying to fill that and it never can't be filled, you know, Nicky. Um, but for sure, more workload for Toto and for sure in every, everything you can see from many team personnel that uh, he's very, very much missed. Another straight talker as well. Actually, it's these Austrians, Very, isn't it? Exactly. It must be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about Valtteri. Um, how does the reality of being a Formula One driver compared to the dream that six-year-old Valtteri had? If I'm very honest, it's quite far off. Um, what did you think? What, were you, what was your vision all those my, years ago? My vision was just racing the car. You know, racing the car, driving lots. Um no politics involved, um, just pure racing, um, enjoying all smiles, you know, traveling places, driving. I always knew competition is going to be tough, but I, I love competition. But then obviously, once you get into this sport and you realize, yeah, okay, it, it is a big business as well. There's lots of things involved in terms of politics. And, you know, in the end, you know, drivers, we are also like a like um, buttons that someone plays with, you know, if you look at the big picture like this. Patrick Head used to call you guys light bulb. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> you can unplug one and put another one <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. So do you, so, do you feel, do you, do you, is job security sometimes, you know, a bit of an issue? Is that, we're talking about politics and light bulbs and, you know, the security, is there, is there less security in Formula One than perhaps you were, thought there might be? Well, I always knew it's super competitive and there's always going to be drivers that want to be at the top seats and uh, get into Formula One. And if you don't perform, you're not going to stay there. So this I c kind of understood, but 
then as a kid you have no idea actually how busy you are going to be and how how it would kind of change your life in a way that many people recognize your face and um, whatever comes with that you know positive and, and negative things so you just have no no idea about those but still for sure i'm you know i'm living the dream as a, as a kid i dreamed of being a formula one driver and one day being a champion so i'm still chasing that and that's the only thing i care about the rest comes with it and i'm fine with that you say you're constantly on the road how many nights a year are you in a hotel in a hotel i haven't counted but i'm home less than 100 days a year so yeah, yeah. so quite that's quite, quite fluid isn't yeah, it exactly yeah and you're in monaco yes here we are i've got a stat for you Nastola, yes, where you're from in Finland, mm-hmm. has 45 people per square kilometer. Monaco has 19,000. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice contrast, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Oh, is that? Do you enjoy that contrast? Uh, I like not? it. It's actually it's great. I like it. You know, I have a beautiful lake house in Nastola, in quietness, in the nature, uh, which I really enjoy. And then I have this place. In in Monaco, which is obviously is a is a beautiful place as well, but in a, in a different way, a bit more people, a bit more noise, uh, so on. But in other other hand, very beautiful as well. And you know, from Formula One world, from Formula One paddock, you know, having those kind of contrasts is nice. You know, to go to Monaco or sometimes visit Finland is is pretty cool. So your upbringing in Finland was a was a rural one rather than a urban one. In the countryside, yeah, exactly, yeah, by the lake. By the so where you have your house now is where you grew up. Indeed, in Nastola. In Nastola, yes. where you have your all the memories duathlon, from childhood. Yeah, exactly. The cart track where you started out. Yeah, everything is close by. Now the dog. Um, you haven't got kids yet, so you've got yourself a dog. Mm-hmm. First step. Yeah. <laughs> the family man. It's a Dalmatian. Um, what do you call it? It's called uh, Fanny, so F-A-N-N-I. It's a Finnish Finnish name. Okay. And have you ever counted the number of spots? <laughs> yeah, many people on, ask that, actually. Fun- <laughs> never, never. You haven't? There, there's too many. There's even some, you know, under the, um, how do you call it in English? Under the tummy? No. Also there, but also in like a... The skin? It, no, the hand. What's the hand? The paw. The paw. Oh, really? Did you know that Dalmatians are born white? Yes, I know. You did know that? Yeah. Yeah, good dogs, you know, very good for running. Uh, you know, well, I, I can say, why why a Dalmatian? It's, it's active, you know, I love sports and I love outdoors myself a lot. So to be able to go for long walks and even for long runs with, with, with the dog is nice and so much energy, you know, so much character. And it's a nice nice buddy, nice friend to to have to, to come to when I go to You know, to there's this, uh, an expression in English where they say uh, a dog is like its owner. Mm. Right. I, I don't have any spots. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> but I was thinking, Valtteri, you, you know, you're so determined and you're physically strong. I was, ex- I don't know, I'd have thought maybe a bulldog or a... Yeah. In fact, has Fanny met uh, Lewis's dogs, Roscoe and Coco? No, actually, they haven't. No, not yet. Is your dog modelling in the way that Roscoe is now? I remember Lewis telling me that I think Roscoe gets $800 a day Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. Are you tempted? You have to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's been in some photo shoots, but not like properly modeling. You know, I try to keep her out of the... Where does she live in Monaco? Ce- celebrity life, so give, <laughs> give give her a normal life, you know. Yeah, Dad, take the cameras away, Dad. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Does she live in Monaco with you? Uh, no, 
Finland She's is based in, 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 in Finland. Finland. Okay. It's, um, I think it's, it's a good place for a dog. Now, if you hadn't been a racing driver, what direction would your life have taken, do you think? Some other sport, for sure. You know, I just love competition. Um, I love sports. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, when I started go-karting, go um, I started racing, I was six years old. And obviously in Finland, uh, we have proper winters, so we could only drive the summer months. Um, but in the winter, I obviously had to do something as well because I liked to, to be active. So I played ice hockey in a, in a team uh, for 10 years, actually. The Latte Pelicans. Uh, yes, the junior team of this one, actually. Yes, and um, I really enjoyed that sport. I, I still love it when I get to play, you know, with my friends. And so. But do you think if you'd worked at it, you would have been good enough to go professional? You know, who, who knows? It's obviously a very competitive sport as well, but... I think in my age group, I, I was good. And if I would have just done that only and invested my time and effort for that sport, like I did for go-karting and racing, who knows? But, you know, it's tricky to say, but I, I feel if there's a will, there's always a way. Do you think, I mean, Formula One is a team sport, of course it is, but there's only two drivers. You're mm. the sort of tip of the iceberg, aren't you? Do you think you would have enjoyed the team aspect of ice hockey? I think so. You know, it's very different sport in that way because yeah you're there with many team members on on the playing field let's say um but what i learned from ice hockey is actually about the team spirit i learned so much you know when you get that team spirit up uh, you can see the results immediately at that point in f1 it's maybe slightly slower process when you get the team spirit up you know together at the factory everyone can you know start being more creative and, you know, pushing for the upgrades in the future. But in that sport, it was so nice that if the mood goes down or up, you can see it immediately happening and how big effect it does actually, you know. So if everyone gives even 1% more when it's a big team, that makes massive difference. Ice hockey looks so aggressive. Is it that is. Okay? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's like it. cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's Smashing yeah. into someone. Exactly. Yeah. Some people think it's only fighting, but no, it's actually... It's a very nice skill sport, for sure, physical as well. So, yeah, I liked it. And I guess a lot of the Finnish, the good Finnish players end up playing in North America, do they? Indeed, and in NHL. And mm. uh, yeah, actually, Finland been pretty good normally in hockey. And yeah, still also the young young team of Finland is, is strong. So hopefully many, many more success to come. Now, look, what about um, the biggest influences on your career? Who have they been? Well, for sure, the with the, with the help without my parents wouldn't be here. Was was your dad a racer? I've been the first in our family, um, the whole family that ever did any kind of racing. So, um, but wh so why did you end up on a cart? Because uh, it seems to me a lot of dads are sort of almost living their lives vicariously through their children, mm. putting them on carts and doing all the things that they weren't perhaps able to do. But that wasn't the case with you. No, no, they, it was actually by accident went to a town, to, we had to go to shops or something with my dad. And then there was a sign for a go-kart race that there was a Finnish championship race in Lahti, Finland, just next to Nastola. So I went to watch that. Uh, I was five years old and I, I thought it was really cool. I got really excited and my dad said to that date in my life, it was the first time I've sit still for a few hours, actually, because I was super active as, as a kid. Um, and I just... After that, every day I asked, can I, can I go and try? Can I go and try? Uh, we tried to, but I was too small still to fit any of the cards. Couldn't reach the pedals. Exactly. And you know what then happened? Um, obviously, I was super disappointed. But my granddad told me that, okay, winter is coming. Um, it's not going to be this year. 
Um, if you eat porridge every single morning, uh, you're going to grow and fit into one of the cart for sure. So every morning during the whole winter, I insisted my parents to make me a porridge in the morning. And I had it, the whole bowl, every morning. And next spring, when the snow melted, we went back. I was bigger. I fit in the cart. And it was love at first sight for the sport. What a great story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where your love of porridge came from. Indeed. Not many people know that. So that's here great, you go. That's a great story. So it came from your granddad. Yep. And you've carried on eating porridge ever since. Exactly. But I'm not growing anymore. So, Are you a water, water or milk in your porridge? Normally water. I can do with milk, but normally water. Yeah. And is there a finished twist? Is it just... just? I, li- I like some good, good forest berries, like, uh, you know, blueberries and raspberries, maybe wild strawberries, things like this. Um, some good seeds, maybe a bit of honey or maybe some peanut butter or so. Like peanut this. butter in your porridge? No, not, not like a proper peanut, you know, like almond butter or cashew. You know, it's a bit smoother, you know. And, and it always has to be warm? The porridge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have it warm. Even in a hot summer's day in Monaco, yeah. warm porridge. Yep. There you go, folks. That's the story of the porridge. While we're talking <laughs> about... Um, <laughs> <laughs> little uh, Bottas isms. Um, the beard's still there. Yeah, yeah, it, it's going to stay. I like it. What does Amelia think of it? Mm, I think she's happy about it. Uh, no complaints so far. So no complaints. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, I wanted to ask you about Mika Hakkinen because a couple of years ago he came to your duathlon that you have. Yeah, actually last last, last year. Yeah. yeah. Was it last year? Yeah. Um, how much of a supporter has Mika been? Any advice he's given you? For sure. Yeah, when I was a kid, he was my my hero. You know, I started go-karting racing in 96 and he won his first race in 97. You know, I saw that obviously he won his first title in 98, second one, 99. So for me, he was the guy that, wow, this is what I want to be one day. So for sure that motivated me massively. And then Mika also in 2008 became one of my managers. which obviously at the time was super exciting. That's quite you know, nice. yeah. Having your hero managing. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> it was pretty random phone call, just number I didn't know. It was Mika. He said he wants to meet and talk about my future. I said, all right, sounds good. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's been he's been a big help for sure. And he still is part of my management. Help in, in, a, in a business sense or help more from a sort of driving sportsman point of view? In anything. You right. know, he obviously knows few things about driving but also business and life in general you know whatever involves Formula one and life can talk talk with him about and i think best ad- advice from mika is he he kept saying in younger categories that just trust my driving ability never lose that that trust and that you can do it you know because it's such a fine detailed sport that if you lose the confidence on your own doing what you're doing in the car then it becomes a bit messy. So very simple advice, but works. Also, I remember Mika telling me once that James Hunt was an early advisor for him when he was starting out in Formula One. And James Hunt said to him, um, Mika, always love what you do. Mm, indeed. And I, I've noticed it myself in Formula One. Whenever I enjoy it and yeah, really enjoy it, I can see it in the in the lap time. So... That's how it goes with everything is, you do. Is it is it one of those sports, Valtteri, where do you almost know from the moment you wake up what kind of day you're going to have? No, 
because obviously there's many variables in the sport, many things that can affect how the weekend goes, how the day goes. You know, it's in not, terms of your own performance, mm, though, you can have a feeling, but even though sometimes if you feel that something doesn't feel quite right, you know, whether you have a bit of pain somewhere or something is going through your mind, you can still be able to extract 100% of out of yourself when you you know get in the car and when you get to that flow and the perfect mental state of driving. But then there are some other days that it's easier. You, you have no worries, you know, everything's fine. You know, all smiles, you know, and uh, everything feels so easy in, in the car. So would be wrong if you don't feel good in the morning to kind of give up on the day. So um, you always try your best and, <laughs> yeah. but it is a funny sport, but it's same with, with, with anything. I think you do any sport for sure. And you know, whatever you do, when you do it, flat out when you have big goals it's sometimes quite tricky to keep enjoying it and keep the nice relaxed approach about it and uh, that way you perform better is relaxation key yeah i would say so yeah so definitely. like before a race before quali it's that sort of relaxed concentration that for me it's been always important and an um, espresso in your case Always, that's 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 important, you know. <laughs> but yeah, for me, getting a moment on my, on my own before the qualifying, before the race, I really need it because it's pretty pretty full on weekend always, and lots of people around. And I think we Finns we like to be sometimes alone as well, so it's nice to have that quiet moment, is to gather your thoughts and just chill. You said a minute ago, um, you know, sometimes you might have a bit of pain, which reminded me of. Uh, like, oh, I said Adelaide, um, Melbourne. When you're at Williams, mm. Melbourne, 2015, 15, wasn't it? When you did quali and then didn't do the race because of back pain. Do you get any? Do you suffer from any back pain now? Can you just talk us through the story of what happened that? Yeah, weekend? so I had a um, like a tear or yeah, an injured disc that kind of popped uh, in the qualifying over the bump in Melbourne after the high speed chicane. There's the back straight and the braking into the last sector just I could feel and hear like a something popping then I I was surprised because I couldn't pre press the brake hard enough and then I realized that okay something's wrong then I got the pain on my lower back and uh, obviously yeah, then you lose a bit of strength in in the in the leg because of the nerve nerve nerves and um, yeah it, it was tough it was painful um, I tried to race I was in all kinds of legal painkillers possible um, but I couldn't couldn't uh, do the the jump out test of the, of the car properly, so they they didn't let me race. Was that an old injury? No, it never never disturbed me before. Never um, was an issue. We could see, you know, we always do health checkups, and we could see, okay, yeah, one of the discs is is a bit unhealthy, but stable that was condition. Yeah, yeah, then. yeah. But stable condition and should be all good. But before that, you know, we had the 2014, which was kind of the year of weight loss for the drivers in F1 and I lost quite a bit of supportive muscles around that area so I was at, at my lightest at that point and that didn't help so um, yeah but then recovered raced again in Malaysia with a, with a good race and it took quite a while it many times it's been reminding me you know the, the back pain every in you know different positions and so on sometimes you feel it um, but for a long time, it's not been disturbing in the car at all and just trying to keep those muscles around very strong. Um, but you know what? The funny thing, when I had the crash in practice in Austria this year, it was a pretty big one. I think probably like the hardest hit I've had. And it was like straight on. 
when the hits happened in, in the wall, I had like big spike of uh, back pain in that same era. So I, initially I thought like, oh, did I damage something? But then it was just that very short moment of pain and nothing. And since then, I've not had a single feeling of, of pain in my back. So maybe something cracked, <laughs> cracked <laughs> open. So maybe it was meant to be, you know. Even after a race like Singapore yeah, on Sunday, when nothing you seems, track, you know, I feel like my back is perfect. So. I'm interested on the weight thing. How much heavier are you now compared to 2014? Or is that a um, secret? We, we no, I think my yeah, my pure like body weight has been maybe f at my lowest. I was four or five kilos less than now. But compared to the last year and year before this year, I'm two kilos more because we are allowed to with a new regulation, which I think is very good. And you think this is your fighting weight where you this are now? This is my natural weight now. First time in my Formula 1 career. And for sure it helps. And can't remember last time I was sick. And previously I would get sick very easily. And I suppose it's the same for all the drivers. I'm sure it is, yeah. Because of the, isn't it, it's now included in the... Big Um So you're the fifth Finn to win an F1 race after... I don't even, I, I'm not, I was going to ask you to name them, but of course you know who they are. But for people at home, Keke Rosberg, Mika Hakkinen, Kimi Raikkonen and Heike Kovalainen. Um, what is it about you Finns? Good question. Maybe we're, we're a Porridge. bit... Porridge. Porridge maybe. Beard, beards. And maybe a bit, bit crazy. I don't know. You know, it's, I think we're pretty mentally, the, you know, how we are. I think it's good for, for, for this sport. You know, we don't mind being kind of alone in the car. We don't mind being under pressure. That's is a skill you need to be a Formula One driver. Um, and then obviously there's other things that maybe some someone could talk better. I don't know if it comes from your genes about car control, whatever. We drive in pretty slippery roads in, in Finland. I don't know if that makes a difference, but only like good explanation I always tell is is a motorsport, motorsport country. So it's very popular in Finland to do all kinds of motorsports and that means the level of competition from a young age is high. And, you know, in go-karts during Finnish championship, if you were in top three and you went to race European championships or anywhere in Europe, you, you would always be fighting in, in top five then. So the level was very good. So you really had to make an effort as a kid to, to be able to do good results in Finland. So that helped and pushed me to, to work hard for it early on. So I think that made a big difference. And why racing as opposed to rallying for you for me it was all always about formula one uh, you know and since i tried that go-kart everything was about formula one and and you know track racing and i just love love the feeling of racing you know other cars around and um, but rally is still good fun well, you've done a bit recently yeah, actually, it just actually started like doing i did in january i did this arctic yeah. lapland rally my first rally ever and immediately with wrc car and that was that was fun experience. They're quick, aren't they? They're pretty quick, yeah. Yeah, they are. You know, especially if you, you know, look at it that way that you're going between the trees and between snowbanks and a bit of jumps and stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. How quickly did you adapt to a rally car? I think quite quickly. I did a few test days before and straight into the rally became fifth, won one stage. So I think, and made it, made it to the finish, didn't shunt it. So that was good. And now I just do it sometimes for fun. I do some test days here and there also for fun but also for training purposes because i think for driving anything is always always good and beneficial does it help you improve as a driver the rallying i believe so for me it works i believe 
like I said, driving anything, I think is always good for your skills and, you know, coordination, reactions, developing your instincts and car feel is always a benefit. And another way for me to switch my mind off for more one. Robert Kubitz has said that he thinks he's a better driver in the wet as a result of his rallying experience. Would you agree with that? Could be. We haven't really raced in in the wet that much this year. No, we haven't actually. Yeah, exactly. So looking forward to that. The, th- the thing is though, Formula One is all about precision. Am I wrong to say that rallying seems a little less precise? Is it as precise, the driving? It's difficult to compare. Obviously, it's much more instinct-based and, um, you know, you're driving from the notes and, you know, in Formula One, you're driving around the same circuit, so it becomes much, much more detailed, you know, and all the margins, they're smaller, gaps are less. But in, in rally, it's a bit more freestyling and you always kind of lead, need to leave a bit of margin. Um, you can't go 100% committed to, to every corner if you don't know it, you know, that's how it goes. Um, so it's a very different sport, which I would like to learn a bit more some someday in the future. Toto completely relaxed about you rallying? Yeah, I think he's, I think just I showed him one onboard video of pretty quick stage I did. That's the only time I saw his face. He was like, oh, well, that's pretty well, quick. Of course he did that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, well, he knows, you know. Why he lets me to do it for, for fun, he knows exactly how how much fun it can be. Yeah. Do you think Frank Williams would have let you rally? Honestly, I doubt. I doubt. It's a bit more, at Mercedes, it's a tiny bit more relaxed in that sense that what we can do. We can do lots of things. And I think that is thanks to Lewis because he Lewis does lots of things in other extreme sports and tries out new things. And I think... Toto, as a leader, has realized that for us to perform, we need to be happy. Whatever makes us happy is good. And you think, God, what, what did Frank stop you doing? Would, could he, would he let you ski? No skiing. Frank wouldn't let you yeah, ski? Would, would Toto let you? Yeah. Oh, see, one nil to Toto. Okay, what else? Uh, obviously, <laughs> the, the, um, the, ice, the ice hockey I've done. Well, actually, we haven't talked about Frank, um, and we should, because mm. he's uh, obviously been a massive influence on you. Was It, it was 2010? You first got involved with Williams, wasn't it? Yes. 2010 became um, a test driver and uh, like a, yeah, test driver indeed. And you won the Masters of Formula 3 that year. And yeah, I was doing F3 still in 2010. Can you remember that first meeting with Frank? Yeah, I do. I do. It was, I think it was at the end of 2009, they were looking for a new test driver um, and kind of taken, been taken on board, you know, to Williams and developing a new driver and perhaps having a new driver for them in the future. That was the plan. There was quite a few drivers actually visited uh, Williams for for the, there was like a simulator simulator session, chat with the engineers and then meeting with Frank. And yeah, I remember it was really exciting day, first time at a Formula One factory and then immediately seeing, you know, the pretty big big team in, in Formula One and meeting Frank and everything. So. I think he liked me, so they, they choose me, which was very cool. And I knew, you know, now I'm a step closer to, to my dream. And now it's going to be a lot up to me, you know, if I perform. The door will be open one day, but it's going to be not an easy easy road ahead. And for sure, I need to work hard for that. So forever for Frank, I'll be very thankful that he g- gave the opportunity to me, to me. He saw the potential in me and the hunger of trying to develop still myself and 
improve and that still carries on but I'm glad he could see it so so early on. Well in 2012 you did some free practice one sessions for Williams didn't you and then yeah. you get your big break and I, I if Frank was in the room I'd say what I'm about to say now but probably one of the worst Williams cars that's yeah, I finished you know, it was once a, in the points. In in, in um, Austin, Austin yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. But it was a hard, how hard was it to make your step into Formula One in that car? It's tricky, you know, starting in Formula One and if you're in a car that will be difficult to prove yourself, prove your skill. Obviously, the team always knows how you perform, but it's not easy for sure. But the, what a great learning year for me of tough times that you can have in Formula One. And it was so nice to be part of that big push forward and you know then we really managed to improve the cars and with the new regulations for 2014 we actually had a really good car and had many podiums and it was such a contrast uh, was was nice to be part of that journey and yeah, we were all pushing hard for that so it was nice Austria 2014 all Williams front row my goodness you were annoyed after quality though <laughs> yeah. Massa was on pole, wasn't he? And I think, hadn't you made a tiny mistake? Or, I, I remember just, don't talk to Valtteri. I remember thinking, don't talk to him now. Give him a bit of time. I was annoyed because it was a great chance for my first pole position. Yeah. And um, it was by such a small margin. And I was supposed to be on pole because I remember there was something in my car on the engine side, like a fuel flow meter or something that was performing... Um, not as well as, as Felipe's, and that was enough for the time difference. So, yeah. Got but, your first podium. Exactly. That race. Do what? you think, in hindsight, you could have, um, do you think you could have won that race, done anything different, or do you think the Mercs were too strong? I think that race, yeah, we, we're not far away from the Mercs, but I don't think we could have could have won it. And to be honest, for the first first time on the podium, I was I was happy. You know, I was able to then still beat, beat Lewis in the race. No, sorry. Felipe, <laughs> and uh, to get on the on the podium for the first time is is a memory that I will always carry. Yeah, it was a great day. Well, look, it's been wonderful to talk to you. I must just quickly ask you about 2020. Mm -hmm. Where do you think you can still improve as a driver? And have you sort of given yourself an ultimatum that that's got to be the year, or what's the mindset going into the next season? For sure, I, I look forward to the end of the 19, but honestly, I can't wait for 2020 because I've been able to do those gains every single winter and every single season. I've learned so much. At some point, it has to be time to put it all, all together and to get to my dream uh, that I've been working for since a kid. So no doubt, uh, 2020, I'm going to put all in, um, do whatever it takes to achieve it. And I just have a feeling it's going to be an interesting year, you know. Lots of different things can happen for 2021. You know, not many drivers have contracts and it's going to be good fun. But um, looks like yeah, it's going to be close as well. For sure it's going to be. And yeah, obviously from my side, there's still so many things to work on to improve, which is something I really enjoy about this sport. You're never, never complete. Um, but especially like race pace and being efficient with the tires. That's kind of the one thing I'm working on. And that's a big goal for me for the end of the year to improve on that. And then I'm big step closer being the driver I want to be. Well, Valtteri, good luck with that. Thank, Thank you. you for your time. This is a busy week. As yeah, we said at the exactly. top, it's, you know, a quick pit stop in Brackley, but it's yeah. been lovely to see you. What do I say? Moi moi. Moi moi. Moi moi. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you, Valtteri. Good to chat.
Isn't Valtteri a great guy? He's so level-headed and honest with himself. He's the kind of person you'd want to go into battle with, and Mercedes clearly feel the same way, which is why he's set for a fourth consecutive season with the team in 2020. And Lewis Hamilton can't rest easy because Valtteri will undoubtedly come back stronger next year. When the flag drops in Abu Dhabi at the end of the season, he'll head back to his rural haven of Nastala, where he'll begin the off-season as he always does by forgetting about Formula One and recharging his batteries. He'll then work on every area of his game to ensure he makes a step forward in 2020. Thanks for your time, Valtteri. It was great to chat. And thanks as ever to Mercedes for their hospitality. Well, that's it for this episode, but we'll be back next week with another mustn't miss guest from the world of Formula One. Before we go, I just wanted to say a big thanks for your feedback about last week's episode with Cyril Abitable. He's a fascinating character who does things a bit differently to the other team bosses in the pit lane. This was a great episode, says Xavier Romer. I never realised how young Abitable still is, and few people realise what a great job he's doing at Renault considering all of the factors. Good job by Tom Clarkson to point out his way of approaching things and how he thinks about everything. Well, thank you, Xavier. Cyril is definitely young and he does think about everything, but I hope he doesn't burn out with all the stress and lack of sleep that he talked about in the podcast. Please keep your feedback coming because we love it. And remember to use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid and you can tweet me at Tom Clarkson F1. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom. Until next time, keep it flat out.